Hello, bonjour. Welcome to Talking Racism. Here we discuss issues of systemic racism in New Brunswick. My name is Manju Varma, and I am the Commissioner for Systemic Racism in New Brunswick. Bienvenue à Parlant de Racisme. Ici, nous discutons de la question de racisme systémique ici au Nouveau-Brunswick. Je m'appelle Manju Varma, et je suis la Commissioner au Racisme Systémique au Nouveau-Brunswick. Je suis très heureuse de parler avec Thérèse Tramamankoff, qui est une enseignante pour le district scolaire anglophone du Sud. So today, I'm super excited. Not only is this our second episode, but I'm excited to have uh, a kindred spirit here with me, uh, Thérèse Tramamankoff, and she is a teacher from Anglophone School District South in New Brunswick. Welcome, Thérèse. Thank you. So. Uh, what really excited me when you and I first started talking, and maybe we should we should let people know that this is actually our, our really our second conversation, right? We just met, um, which yes. is uh, which is great that you're on this show and we can continue our conversation. When we first met, I was so excited about your new position. I was excited because, as far as I know, this position has never existed before. And um, and once I started talking to you, I was further like thrilled because I thought, wow, what an amazing person to be fulfilling this role. I'm the first commissioner on systemic racism in New Brunswick and um, and one of the first in Canada. And you're one of the first fulfilling this new role. So why don't you uh, why don't you let, let us know what this role is all about? Well, you took the words right out of my mouth. I, when I met you, it was kind of the same thing. I thought, oh my goodness, uh, this is amazing. There's someone else who's starting a brand new thing that has never existed in this place. And it's amazing that there's someone who is delving into this topic in this way. So, um, so excited that there's a commissioner for systemic racism in New Brunswick. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm pretty excited too, not just because it's me, but I'm pretty excited. <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, so in normal times, and norm, there's no such thing as normal times, but in normal times, I'm, I'm a high school teacher and I had taken the last year as an educational leave. So I was on sabbatical last year because I'm the luckiest human in the world, um, not having to teach during a global pandemic and uh, finishing up my master's degree in math, uh, in, in teaching math. So of course that has nothing to do with mm -hmm. what I'm doing right now, but this job opportunity came up for a, a anti-racism and equity coach in the district and I thought I what what this is this is a thing that exists this is incredible so of course I had to apply for it um, I remember in the interview I asked the two beautiful people who interviewed me what would you how would you measure success in this role and they looked at each other they looked at me and they said we will determine this with the successful candidate because it's not really <laughs> they work how do you measure success? in other words yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah, okay. i gotta ask the exact same question right how, is, do you, yeah, how do you how do you measure, measure success, success? <laughs> i know well i've i've kind of had to determine that a little bit on my own because because it's such a unique role although there are other teachers who have been seconded from their jobs as teachers to work at district as coaches. There's no template for what it looks like to be a successful advocate for anti-racism and equity. Um, you just kind of do the very best you can and measure what you can. And 
um, try not to burn out in the process, as, as I think you probably are aware. Yeah. How I'm measuring success is how I'm seeing people responding to the things I'm writing, how, how busy I am is a measure of success because people invite me into their schools, into their um, staff meetings, into their, even the parent school committees. Um, I've, I've spoken to kids of all ages. I've been invited to troubleshoot really explicit problems, but also as a preventative, how can we be better, general kind of invitation. So, OK, um, peut-être on peut commencer dans, dans ce sujet. Uh, Donnez-moi une description de, de votre jour typique. Like, what's your typical oh. day look like? Il y a, il y a pas une journée typique, honnêtement. <rire> euh, il faut, parfois, il y a, il faut aller au jour le jour. Alors, euh, par exemple, lundi, euh, je vais travailler avec une école à, à Fundy ou à Rossey ou à Graham Alors, je vais voyager pour aller travailler avec une école, ou bien pour aller faire une présentation dans une salle de classe, ou bien pour aller parler avec euh, une une collection de classes euh, et peut-être mardi je vais prendre un peu de temps pour écrire un article parce que j'écris un article chaque semaine euh, ou bien au oh. sujet du, de l'antiracisme ou bien au sujet de l'équité. Alors ça c'est quelque chose qui est publié chaque mercredi dans, euh, euh, ça s'appelle Southern Exposure, c'est pour tout le monde dans le district, on, on reçoit un courriel avec cette euh, c est, c est newsletter, je me rappelle plus c'est quoi newsletter en français, mais c'est ça. Euh, et j'ai publié ça aussi sur un site pour que ce soit accessible à tout le monde, même si on n'est pas un enseignant dans le système. Parce que euh, je parle souvent de mon travail et on me demande, ben, est-ce que je peux lire ce que tu écris? Est-ce que je peux venir voir une présentation? Mm -hmm. Ma soeur veut venir voir une présentation. Um, so, a typical day does not, does not exist. <laughs> yes, and actually I kind of asked that question tongue-in-cheek because it's the exact same thing for me. I do not have a typical day. Like you, um, I'm often, uh, you know, asked to come in and, and uh, talk about a situation. Um, sometimes it is proactive to say, you know what, we're concerned about this. I've met, for example, with the New Brunswick Police Commission, and um, you know, one of the things that that they're concerned about is the overrepresentation of um, of, of offenders from the Black and Indigenous communities, um, the lack of understanding, lack of cultural uh, awareness within their own organization. Like they're not pointing fingers, right? Within their own organization, about issues that immigrants and newcomers may have. And, and that relationship with the law and that relationship with justice. Um, and uh, I haven't had a chance to write yet. I'm super envious that you've been writing articles. And are they specific to education? Are they specific to New Brunswick? Like what, what, uh, specific what gets you to, moving? <laughs> yes, so as you know, uh, anti-racism is, is a very small topic. So there's only two subjects I can write on. That's very sarcastic. I, I <laughs> Everything that occurs to me, I write about. So I try to alternate between um, e equity and uh, anti-racism. So one week it'll be an anti-racism themed article and they, they're kind of designed as mini lessons, food for thought that are, the, I'm, I'm aware that the audience is New Brunswick teachers in my district. So they are geared toward teachers mm -hmm. in the sense that sometimes I'm talking about a classroom. Um, sometimes I'm talking about a situation like that, but most of the time it's applicable to any adult. So uh, how do we, you embed anti-racism into your life? Well, you got to read about it. And so a, a tiny little lesson, a couple articles or a video to look at, and then 
see you next week. That's kind of the theme of those, those posts. And you said something else too, which actually we talked about in the first um, episode, which was people will ask all the time, where do I start? Where do I start? Um, which is in one way, a really great question. But in the other way, I'm, I get kind of frustrated with that question sometimes because I'm like, there is so much out there. Like you talk about burnout um, and we do, those of us who work in anti-racism, I think in any type of social justice, really have to be concerned about your own personal burnout, especially if you live that reality. So, you know, you and I both, we work in the area of anti-racism, we read about it, but we live it, right? As, yes. as, um, as, as immigrants, as people of color. So it's not, you don't close your laptop at whatever time and then you're just like, okay, I no longer need to think about this. And right now there is so much, like I can't turn on the radio or open a paper without two, th- two stories, climate change, and something to do with racism. Right? Like those exactly. Are, those are the two things. And for those of us who really work in that area, we know those are actually linked. Like if you look, I was going to say they are this. They're interlinked so oh, much. Yes. So much. And, and not like in in a country on the other side of the world. Like we look at Africville, right? And the environmental racism that really spurred, first of all, the existence of that of that community, and then ironically, the destruction of that community. Uh, We look at the indigenous communities that don't have clean water. Um, So those those two big priorities in our world today, I mean, other than, you know, that COVID thing and uh, and even that we could we could have a whole episode around COVID and and racism as well. Um, I love your cat. I'm getting distracted by your cat. (laughs) (laughs) So but there is you were talking about your articles. um, So I'm a teacher. It's sort of my profession. If somebody says, you know, what do you do? I'm like, well, I have my teacher certificate on the wall. So I guess that makes me a teacher. Um, and you are a working, living, breathing teacher right now. <laughs> and I want to just sort of said something about what you said about these. Um, your articles are for teachers. But I think, at least this is the way I feel, and I have a feeling you'll agree with me because we seem to agree on everything. Um, <laughs> so far, anyways. Um, I think we all play a role as teachers. So whether we're working in a federal uh, department or working at the province of New Brunswick or in a school or in an HR building, um, regardless of where you work, um, and even if you work at home, you know, your, your, your uh, office mate is your cat or your dog, um, there are ways that you can work with an anti anti-racism lens. So I have a feeling, I haven't read any of your articles yet, but I'm definitely going to, I have a feeling that there's probably tips and stuff like that that can be used anywhere. And maybe we can, we can at the end of the podcast or near the end, maybe you can share some of those, like some maybe that are, that really stick out in your mind. Um, The one that I'm hearing a lot right now, and I don't even take it seriously. Maybe you do. Maybe this is where we, um, where we go on separate paths. Um, this whole thing about happy holiday, Merry Christmas, happy Christmas, Christmas tree. Like, I just, I wish that the topic of racism was that simple, that we just could decide whether to say happy holidays or Merry Christmas. Like, at, well, you know, 
<laughs> at the Christmas oh, concert. I, like, you're a teacher. What do you think of the Christmas concert? I have no issue with Christmas concerts. I don't <laughs> yeah. think it's about excluding Christmas. I think it's about including other religious ceremonies. I mean, the school calendar, obvi- uh, not obviously, sorry, arguably, I was going to say, arguably the most important calendar that we live by because most people have some connection to kids the majority of us Mm -hmm. have to work around that calendar it's a christian calendar it's a we have holidays around um christmas and around uh easter and i mean remembrance day is not a religious holiday like we have a few others but uh by and large it was built on that so the the assumption of christianity is is embedded in how we take holiday anyway like how we structured the the school year part of, like part yeah, of it is sure. baked sure. in yes yes um, well it, it, so, it mimics our calendar in greater society right like um, right. there is uh, you know in the workplace there is an assumption that around november you'll send out an email asking people to you know are they taking time off at christmas i have yet to see an email like that around ramadan or you know or or something else so or even hanukkah i haven't seen an email saying you know is anyone taking hanukkah off so yeah that's our mindset for good or for bad and well i don't know that it that it is good i don't think it is especially good because it it excludes a lot of different religions and some of those religions those the practices in those religions really deeply affect a person Mm -hmm. so if it's a time of religious fasting if you're a a child who is in school and those are the days that you're doing exams and you can't eat when the sun is up that is going to have a huge impact on your success so not it's not just not having that time off but not even having the knowledge of when those periods are um is detrimental to those kids having success so i i still see things in the in the terms of how do i make things better in the education sector because mm-hmm. that is my mandate that is my uh that's my that's how what i feel my job is is to try to do the best that i can to uh, improve things for those those children um and that i guess that begins with awareness but it doesn't take anything away from people celebrating i don't know how many problem people celebrating no Christmas. i don't it's either right. and it's it's yeah. funny because it's a question i get asked a lot like this, people will ask me like okay so do you say happy holiday or do you say merry christmas and i'm like i don't know i just say whatever comes <laughs> out of my mouth and hopefully it's polite like i really don't put a lot of thought into this and you know do i have a christmas tree yes i have a christmas tree but this year you know what i couldn't find the angel so we had um we had a skull um, nice. It's, uh, yeah, it's 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 Yorick, you know, from Hamlet, and uh, we put that on our top of our Christmas tree and called it our Shakespeare tree. Now, <laughs> I, if I'm offending somebody, wow, <laughs> sorry, uh, but we just really needed to have something at the top of our tree. Um, but I, you know, I love what you're like that example of somebody fasting. So that's that's actually something that I did work on years ago. Um, we were looking at when the MCATs, uh, the medical, the exams for medical entrance for, for our listeners who don't know what the MCATs are, and the LSATs, which is the same ver- same thing but for law, and it um, it often fell on Ramadan. So you've got these university students, some of whom are away from home, right? They haven't eaten. They are about to write what they probably think is the most important exam in their life. Um, 
and they're doing it on an empty stomach and they're doing it without water like we're not talking like you know you, you can you can drink you can have tea like nothing and all that takes is someone being aware of this calendar and making a slight change right we're not talking a huge change and it doesn't even have to be that significant if you're a teacher um, and you have a child in your class who seems a bit cranky lately just knowing that it's Ramadan is so important right because then you say okay you know what I, I I'm gonna give this kid a little bit of leeway like and that and not to say anything bad about Ramadan because people I've talked to that do fast say it's amazing it, it's such an amazing feeling to um, to make that sacrifice and to go through that process so from all from what I understand it's a very beautiful process but when you're talking about little kids I know when when my parents my parents are Hindu and when we would do uh, certain festivals and stuff um, as a kid first of all I just wanted to fit in so I wasn't telling anybody that, about anything that I was doing at home and secondly um, you know I was more concerned about how I felt <laughs> than of carrying on some family tradition right I wasn't I wasn't there so um, it's you're right that awareness and that takes nothing away from anything from else. everybody else yeah, yeah. so um, the other thing I wanted to just mention uh, is that you said you were a math teacher. Salam moi, c'est un défi de voir le sujet de racisme dans le sujet sauf la science humaine et uh, la literature. Um, you know, often that's where we see um, the curriculum focus on anti-racism is social studies is literature but you're a math teacher so tell mm -hmm. me what does anti-racism look like as a math teacher what does it look like in your class if you had a class well um par exemple alors c'est c'est très difficile de séparer le sujet de son origine alors l'histoire est écrite selon les, les hommes, selon, mm -hmm. selon les, les philosophes blancs, et euh, c'est ça la seule perspective qu'on a. Oui. Alors, on, on efface et on oublie tout le monde d'autre qui a eu des, des emphases et des, et, des, et des effets énormes sur le, sur le sujet. Um, mais quand, dans, en salle de classe, en contexte d'une classe de mathématiques, c'est pas compliqué. On, on fait des problèmes de mots, on change un nom. Au lieu que ce soit Sarah, mm -hmm. c'est Zainab. Au lieu que ce soit quelque chose qui a lieu dans un contexte ou dans un endroit um, local, peut-être on dit que c'est un festival en Inde. Mm -hmm. Il y a plusieurs choses qu'on puisse faire pour pouvoir intégrer cette idée de diversité, d'équité de, de un peu partout pour apprécier des différentes cultures en contexte, mais ça prend un effort. Alors, quand on essaye de faire des choses créatives, surtout avec des travaux, des travaux à remettre et non pas des examens, non pas des choses comme ça, ça peut pas être la première fois qu'on voit quelque chose de nouveau euh, sur une évaluation finale, mais euh, c'est de, de le faire en de le mettre en contexte. Alors, par exemple, s'il y a un tout petit problème de mots et on, on insère souvent les noms des élèves pour pouvoir faire une connexion, Um, C'est une bonne idée aussi d'insérer un nom euh, d'un pays lointain 
peut-être qu'il y a quelqu'un dans la classe qui a, qui a un peu d'héritage qui, je ne sais pas, par exemple en, au Brésil ou en Égypte ou cho choisis n'importe quel pays, mm -hmm. fais un petit peu de, ça, ça demande un petit peu d'effort. Alors fais un petit peu de recherche pour savoir quels sont quelques noms un petit peu communs ou quelle est une célébration commune pour pouvoir même juste la mentionner. Oui. Pour pour normaliser c'est quoi d'autres cultures, d'autres noms et comment on apprend des noms. Alors, toi, tu as un nom un peu unique et moi aussi, et on passe notre vie à, à enseigner les, les autres à prononcer nos noms. Euh, c'est normal et euh, mon nom en français, j'ai jamais besoin de demander à quelqu'un d'apprendre comment le prononcer parce que c'est français, Thérèse, c'est français. Mais en anglais, je ne suis pas Teresa, euh, je suis Thérèse. Alors, c'est euh, question d'insister et d'enseigner de, aux autres comment, comment on prononce les choses. Il y a plein de termes et de mots très, très difficiles euh, <rire> qu'on qu apprend. <rire> Tchaikovsky, I mean, come on. Oui, non, je dis <rire> la même chose que, comme une personne m'a dit, « Oh, ton nom est différent, c'est difficile de dire. » I'm like, « It's ten letters. It, » it, it, Both names. It's like, « Manju, M-A-N-J-U. » Not her. <rire> c'est une question de, de FA, right? Exactement, c'est une question d'effort et de uh, and a, and a willingness to be wrong and to ask over and over. I have uh, a friend I've known for six years who I, because one of those articles that I, that I wrote, I was talking about pronunciation of names. Mm -hmm. And in that article, I, I phonetically or kind of phonetically, not really, but like showed how to say my name. And she sent me a message saying, I've known you for six years and I just learned how to say your name properly. So that's, it's never too late to know how to say someone's name it's always okay to ask you know it's uh, we uh, the first episode um we actually had like a lengthy discussion around names so and my kids um who are now well, my, wow my son just turned 21 and my daughter is 17 they still have those cringy stories of when you know the supply teacher comes up Uh, and, and, you know, and my daughter's name is Mira, M-E-E-R-A. We're not talking Travaski. <laughs> like, and, and other kids in her class, because she's actually, in a, a, I guess, from a New Brunswick perspective, uh, actually in a, quite a diverse class. And the other kids in her class who also, you know, their names are, come from other countries, They've had the exact same experiences, even though the names are in themselves are not difficult. And we actually talked about this in the last episode. And um, Kalala, uh, one of my team members, he had a really interesting perspective on this. So I'd love to hear your response to this. He felt it's because Canadians are so polite and in, and Atlantic <laughs> Canadians and New Brunswickers in particular, we're so nice and we're so polite that we don't want to ask how to say your name. So he says what happens is instead people ignore you, right? 100%. Oh, 100%. Okay, so you totally agree. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? I, I had an interesting experience this year where, I mean, there's been a supply teacher shortage. So uh, in exceptional circumstances, uh, coaches are called on to come in and help to alleviate some of the shortage. So I ended up being in a grade six class, grade seven class, where the kids didn't know me. I wasn't familiar to the school. They'd never heard my name, my first name or my last name. And I taught them to say my name. They, Their school is on a street called Manawaganish Road. That is the school is on that road. It is a not easy name 
to to know. But they're they, I, what? Where are we? Manawagadish Road. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. So you know how to say Manawagadish. I will teach you how to say my name. So how I've approached that as a classroom teacher is I I break it down. So it's three words: trophy. Like I, you have earned the. Um, the, the the win of my um, attention or to, to know it. I love it. Men. Love it. We all know men. Yes. Right? Everybody knows men. And then I start coughing. <laughs> Drop men cough. So um, one of the kids, this is grade six, one of the kids says, can I just call you Miss T? And I and that happens a lot. Um, yes, and I looked at this kid and I said, of course, I will not promise you that I will respond right away because that is not my actual legitimate name. So if you like really want my attention, you probably want to go with Trofimenkov. Um, but if you don't mind waiting around a little bit, then um, you could try Ms. T. By the end of that one period, two of the kids had said my full name and they'd said it correctly because they yeah. really wanted my attention. So if like this is grade six or seven, so if that age group can figure out how to say my name in half an hour, I'm not you know? So I'm, I'm looking at this from an anti-racist perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because on, um, and I, it's uh, something I always do. Like, so there's a diversity and inclusion way of looking at this. But then given my, my position and my perspective and the, just, I guess, my lenses I use, there's another lens, which is the anti-racist lens. And a lot of people don't know the difference between looking at something from diversity and inclusion and looking at something from an anti-racist. So maybe maybe this example will be a way to explain that. So you're trying, you know, you have a name that is unusual to a lot of people uh, in Canada, in New Brunswick, I guess, let's say in New Brunswick. Um, and I do as well. So there are certain things that happen. People will try to avoid saying your name, right? Or they will shorten it like Mrs. T, right? And so that's a diversity thing because if you want someone to feel connected to you, you need to know their name. That's that's our basic identity, right? What's your name? Um, and we know from like a colonization point of view that there's a whole history of names being changed, right? And that was part of the assimilation process. We think about like the horrors of residential schools where names were changed. Like that is, that's your, it's your soul. It's your basic, you know, I don't even know what word to put it. It is so, it's so human to have a name. And I think, uh, I'd have to check on this, but I think it actually is one of the, the UN rights for children is that as the right to a name because it makes you a person, it gives you an identity. So from a diversity and inclusion perspective, it's like, okay, no, I want you to learn my name because I wanna feel included. That's great. But from an anti-racist perspective, it's part of a cut, you know, a death by a thousand paper cuts, right? Because it's that one more thing that says you're different. It's that one more thing that makes you feel like you don't belong. And it's really hard for people to understand that if they haven't been the victim of those paper cuts. Yeah, I think they don't they don't get it. And I, I don't wanna say that the, the poor white people have it very hard, but I, I do <laughs> want to acknowledge that for a lot of people, it's the first time they've ever had to consider even that they're white 
Yes, that's true. Like, I, I never think about the fact that, uh, like, I, I never not know that I'm brown. Like, mm-hmm. I never not know that my name is weird. I never not know these things. I'm constantly made aware of them by those, like you say, death by a thousand paper cuts. Mm-hmm. By those paper cuts. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember. Oh, oh right. I remember. Okay. <laughs> I, rem- I remember all the time. But they don't have that context. Mm-hmm. So th- that's why they're... A lot of people start with, I don't know where to even begin. I'm so overwhelmed. You know, the paradox, paradox yeah. of choice, yes. having so much, like I have no idea. Do I start small? Do I start big? Is it enough? It's never going to be enough. They're overwhelmed when they start waking up to how bad it actually is. Like, I don't know if you had the same experience. I'm really curious to know if you had the same experience when the world woke up to just how explicitly terrible it is when the wake of the murder of George Floyd being tele- televised and then the Black Lives Matter movement really exponentially growing, mm-hmm. taking mm-hmm. off in the world. There was a collective awakening happening in a lot of white households. Um, a lot of people who you would have assumed were good people. You know, like it's not about being no, nice. It's, it's not about, about being, being unaware. Exactly. I don't know if you had that same reaction of just being so deflated and so exhausted to realize just how new just yeah. how new everybody was to this conversation. Yes. Yeah. I say everybody. The and then that's part of the mental health issue, right? Like it just that exhaustion of really, you really didn't know. And then they re- you realize, well, they didn't know. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. and, and I never thought about it that way that, that, and I, I don't know why, I guess I should be, but you're right. It again, to use that overused word in my mind, privilege, that privilege of never having to consider the role that your skin color will play in this conversation, will play in this job interview, you know, uh, will play in you going to the park with your children and how people see you. Um, you know, walking into an elevator, a white person won't notice if I put my hand on my purse, just out of, you know, whatever. But if a black person walks into an elevator and I put my hand on my purse, I've just added another paper cut, whether I meant to or not, right? So you're right, it, it's, it is an awakening for white people, but I think this is where you and I go separate paths because you seem almost a bit empathetic. Almost. I kind of have to be, right? I, I want them on board. I don't hate white people. I, I No, no, I don't either. To, I have white friends. <laughs> Me too. I know white people. I have white friends, you know? <laughs> yeah. I guess I just, um, this is part of systemic racism, right? It's part of uh, white supremacy. The internalized yeah. tendency to give the benefit of the doubt is still there. And um, I, I guess... To be able to speak that language and to like, I, I'm a very fair brown person. I'm not like, I mean, I mean, of skin, like I'm yes. a very pale brown person, but I'm a brown person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had on more than one occasion and people will tell, oh, uh, Egyptian, really? You got Egyptian in there? That does not, I'm not, I don't see it. Or I forget you're not white. Like I've had that <laughs> experience that a, a few times. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be, but like, it, does, it doesn't land that way. Um, but to be able to do this work and to talk to those people and to not have contempt, I need to be able to, to see what it's like from the other side. And I really felt that with the um, knowledge of the residential schools, that wave of knowledge yeah. and information that came in. I, as a immigrant, 
being very happy to be in Canada and what this country has offered me in terms of opportunity and education and, you know, weather, everything. I, like, I, I am very appreciative of this country, and, but to be patriotic feels so wrong now somehow. Like, to, to be proud of what has been perpetrated on the Indigenous people in this land is contrary to, to what I feel as a, as a racialized human. So it's a strange place to be, to be both in a, a state of learning from scratch on a topic and a lifetime of knowledge on almost the same topic. It's so strange. Um, so I guess maybe that's where my empathy comes in. Yeah, I'm, I, um, I don't work from a, a place of anger, for sure. Um, I do. Oh, you can't. You'd be angry all the time. Yes, Imagine exactly. And and I do know, you know, people who work in the area of anti-racism that do, um, and and that works for them. And and you know that's their their battle. So that's fine. Um, I do not, but I do feel like my the edges of my empathy are starting to sharpen, in the sense that when people say to me, I don't know where to start. I just think, really? Like, go watch you just start. the video of George Floyd you, you being just, murdered. You just start. Oh, yeah. my God. I, wouldn't, I, I can't do that. Turn I, on I CBC. Yeah. Open the paper. Uh, you know, and you talk about, you know, that awakening of George Floyd being murdered. We had our very own provincial um, awakening when two Indigenous people were shot within a week. Right. And and the conditions, what came the results of all that to me, that's that's a conversation and that's outside. But the reality is that two people of indigenous background were shot within a week in New Brunswick. If that doesn't wake you up to something, you know, to quote my Shakespeare tree, something is rotten in the state of our world, our country, our province, I don't know what would. And that's There's where an my empathy starts to fray. To fray? <laughs> yeah. I, I know what you mean. I, like, there's an expression in, I don't know who said it first in the district, but I've said it seven million times. You work with the living and you, you don't water the rocks, you water the plants. Like you gotta work Ooh. with the people who wanna hear what we have to say. Uh, what we really want, Manju, is for critical mass. That's what we want. We want enough people to care deeply about these things that it is impossible not to change. The other people who are like scragglers, they can come later, don't care about them. Mm -hmm. I care about the people who don't have a roadmap and need one. I will give you the lessons. I will teach you. That's fine. Just learn the things and keep learning. Just keep learning. There's so much to learn. I mean, I don't have, you have a, this is the coolest thing. You have a doctorate degree in teaching anti-racism. What? I didn't know that was a thing. I have no <laughs> formal education in teaching anti-racism. I've just been doing it my whole life in every context yes. possible. And now I'm allowed this platform to be able to, to be able to, I walk in, this is so strange. I don't know if you've experienced this, Manju, but like I walk into a room, they know what my job title is, and that's enough for people to stop and listen. And in a way that before I feel like I was talking to walls or talking to three people at a time. And now I'm like, okay, this is what you need to do. I'm going to give you homework. This is a hard conversation. And people are like, okay, 
We got it. Okay. I, I am it's getting good. that as well. In fact, I've been saying that, uh, and I did make this up. This is mine, <laughs> but feel free to use it. Um, I say like, so I've been working in this area, working formally in this area for 30 years, but you know, I'm, I'm much older than that. And, and uh, so I've been living this for much longer than that. Um, I used to feel like I was going to war. Now I feel like I'm rallying the troops. Ooh. I know, right? Like I should write that down. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not alone, right? No. There's something really isolating about this kind of work. No. And you're not alone in trying to get things better. And neither am I. No. We and that's fantastic. People. We just need to, it's like you say, we're rallying the troops. I love that. Uh, well, and in both of our cases, we are where we are today because somebody else made a decision that didn't include us, right? So for me, it was the province of New Brunswick that said, we need to have a deep conversation about systemic racism, in particular, what's happening within our own organization, within government of New Brunswick. And you're in this position because the exact same conversation happened at like a superintendent level or whoever makes those decisions in education. That in itself is super exciting for me because somebody else decided that this was important. Um, well, that's and, just it. We, yeah. we know the white people are having conversations. Exactly. Because, exactly. Yeah. And they're letting us in on the conversations. Huge. Right? So that's pretty exciting too. So anyone who's listening to this particular episode and knows your role as, now I just want to make sure I get it right. So you're an anti-racist coach. I am an anti-racism and equity coach. And so equity that's, coach. yeah, like okay. anti-racism alone is enormous. And then you throw in equity. Yeah. <laughs> Cause why not? Why not? Yeah, exactly. I know I tell people there the is same a lot thing. of overlap. I tell people yeah. the same thing. They're like, so you're going to fix racism. I'm like, no, <laughs> I come up with the recommendations. You do the work. <laughs> Let's be very clear on that. That's just it. Like that, that is exactly right. So often I'm invited to come and speak to um, either a kid or a teacher about a specific situation. Yeah. And I'll, I'll do that. But like that is a Band-Aid. Yeah. That is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is for all the well-meaning silent bystanders to become upstanders in that same I love inside. that okay so you can use my war uh, uh, okay my my violent uh, <laughs> I love it and I'm the gonna troops. use your very peaceful not bystanders <laughs> but upstanders okay all right does it work as well uh, I don't know uh, I've never we'll thought have, of that we'll actually have to do uh, that right like I'll have to think about that. Get back to you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's let's put that on our on our homework list. Yeah. Okay. So as there, I said, people who are listening to this podcast and know that you're an anti-racist and equity uh, coach, and the resources that you provide are probably waiting to hear about your thoughts on the curriculum. That's huge. I know. I'm not going to say so. How do you change the curriculum? Um, but we do know that changes have to happen. So, if the world was run by Taraz. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> if, this, if you tomorrow became the person in charge of uh, changing the New Brunswick curriculum, and let's keep it simple. Let's pretend okay. that everyone goes to the same school district. Okay? What okay. would you do? Yeah. How do you see that curriculum happening? Um, I would find an expert in literacy, an expert in every subject. Mm -hmm. So an expert in grade one, grade two, like at every, you know, 
just different because it's very, very different. Grade one and two, huge difference. Oh, yeah. Uh, a huge difference between three to five, huge difference between six to eight. Anyway, so, uh, and in, in high school, it would be the subject matter experts. And then I would train them all on how to embed anti-racism in their work. So how do I look at everything with an anti-racist lens? Because I... I have come across this before where I'm, I um, someone presents me with a with a problem and I'm like, okay, I can solve this, but like now I don't have time. Now I don't have <laughs> I know I don't have time to do, I know. I don't have time to do that. <laughs> so what I want to do is I my ultimate goal has been shifting and changing as I'm seeing what the needs are in our district. Um, there are so many people doing really really great work already on the ground, um, and it's. It, like we're all kind of in silos doing yeah. this, this starting from the ground up. And I mean, you have one elementary school over here that's doing their very, very best, but it's all white people. And they're like, okay, we've done what we can do, help. And that is the best time for a person like me to come in and say, oh, amazing, you're on step two. I'm mm -hmm. excited. So mm -hmm. I can help you get there, get further into your learning. That is, a, that is a, a fantastic entry point for me. But I also need to learn how to, or I also need to be able to empower other people to see the very basics. So for example, in history, and I'm not the only one who sees this, it's a very Eurocentric, oh. it's ex extraordinarily, uh, focused on World War One, World War. I'm talking yeah. about modern history. World yes. War One, World oh, War Two. Even well, even before that, we... I learned all of the monarchs. Like who cares? Like what the banana? Right? Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, oh, I can tell you the very first king of England, right up to Queen Elizabeth II. Like why? That is fascinating. Not uh, really. <laughs> <but> <laughs> What is useful is learning things like about apartheid in South yes. Africa and how that is the birthplace of what it is to reconcile extreme racism and segregation, segregation and how to come together as a country. Like there are so many beautiful lessons that we can pull from there that are extremely relevant to reconciliation with indigenous people, to including other ethnicities in our studies um i mean rwanda that was 1994 that wasn't that long ago no. you know that no. there's a lot of stuff that i mean i went to a middle school the other day and uh i asked because i was introducing myself and i put a flag of egypt up because that is my background i am mm -hmm. egyptian and canadian and the kids i, I asked the kids uh, where do where do you think that like i don't expect you to know like it's a flag and there's 200 some odd countries yes. but one of them asked uh, i said it's a, it's in africa and one of them said i thought africa was a country and see that is not I something know. you should think in grade nine or eight or seven no. or six like that's no. not you should know at least the continents by then like there's not enough emphasis and this isn't to sh throw shade on this kid like this no, is no, it's, not emphasized yeah. enough um and it's not to throw shade on the teachers either it's not emphasized enough in curriculum we're throwing shade like, on curriculum yes yes exactly okay so <laughs> that's make, where that's, that's where the shade is. goes yes exactly and you're so you know like you're i think if, like if some people say well we got to totally erase the curriculum I'm like no we don't need to we just need to expand on what and and sort of think about what we teach. So let's go, you know, teaching about World War One and World War Two, which I found fascinating as a student. Um, you know, I'm not a big history buff, but I did find that fascinating. But wouldn't it would have been so much more fascinating for me had I learned about what uh, how colonization played a role in that, you know, and the, oh, yeah. the Indian Army. Like I, you know, my parents are from India, and I have an Indian heritage, and I would have loved to have known about that. But I think it all equally would have been important to know that you know what, 
at the time, indigenous people could not be could not become soldiers, could not join the military because it was against the law. And if they did, because yeah. they did, if they did, they lost their identity. Like that's, that's the right. stuff we need to be learning, right? Not the where... Indian Act, right? Like that's that's relevant. Today. Yes, that's relevant, and and that's that's the things that, that ask questions because. You're not going to ask a question about some, you know, not, and again, <laughs> World War II, significant part of our history. World War oh, One, yeah. significant part of our history. Um, you know, it, it, it motivates us not to have a World War Three. But from a student's perspective, we got to make it real. We got to make it connected yes. to their world. So if you explain things like people that were promised, you know, the black communities that were promised land if they became soldiers and they came back and they were given like rocks. Um, and what that meant and what, why there are issues about overrepresentation and, and issues of, of poverty in black communities today, it actually, you know, it started here. And yeah. that same issue with, well, you know, why would it be, why was it so important that Canada encourage indigenous people to give up their identity? Because it was important. I mean, it was in our legislation. Yes. It was in our, you know, it, that was like the, the raison d'etre for whatever the department was called at the time, Department of Indian Affairs or whatever, right? It wasn't to support indigenous communities. It was to get rid of them. It was to kill that right. identity. So exactly, that's the sort of conversations we need to be having now and not can you list the, all of the kings from the beginning of time and how many wives did King Henry VIII really have? You know, oh like, my gosh! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. yeah. And I think teachers all are equally interested in embedding these things in curriculum. Like I, in the before I had like it was day zero of my job. I was going back to my building to pick up a couple things, and one of my colleagues, who's a, a history. She, she teaches history asked like could you do something about the modern history curriculum like they I, I, I mean I'll try I'll talk to who I can talk to it's mm -hmm. not really I, I, I don't know how much power you think I have dear friend but I will do my best to have these conversations um, it's it's not just brown people who are having these issues with this with curriculum with yeah. how things are as as teachers um, are becoming aware of the extent to which like, cause this is the thing you kind of look at your life and you're like, Oh my goodness, it's everywhere. Oh, okay. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah. And it takes a while for it to sink in and takes a while for it to really, it, it's really upsetting. There's a lot of introspection in this work. And so like, that's part of the reasons that when I, that, that's the reason that when I go speak to a staff, I'm like, hi, I'm here for 15 minutes. I'm going to explain some basic things, give you some homework. I'm going to run away and come back in one month. Let's see how it went because I can't, you can't, Inst there's no sit and get, as you say, mm -hmm. for this kind of topic. It requires something from everyone to examine where we are. Where where do I sit with my biases? I have them too. I have biases too. Oh, and me they're too. Gross, and I have to try to work on getting rid of them. But um, it, you can't change that unless you start there. So we need to have difficult conversations. I think is what I'm hearing from you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think a lot of people are ready for that too, in a way that maybe we haven't been before. Have you come into contact with conversation fatigue? I mean, we, you, you're telling lots of oh, great yeah. stories, and I'm like, woohoo! Like things are moving in the in the uh, you know in the education field, and this is awesome. And Therese is going to like have an army of, of people like her, <laughs> right? Like that, the, all those experts you were talking about. 
But that's my dream. There's pushback, right? There's pushback. I mean, I I get I get some friendly emails <laughs> telling me that uh, that you know maybe I shouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing. Um, I've Ooh, got, yeah. I want to hear more about that. Uh, what I've, kind I've of got this one guy who emailed me. Uh, actually asked me to forward the email to Premier Higgs because he he said he could do my report in a weekend for 50 bucks. So um, so I did. I told Premier Higgs, I'm like, you're getting ripped <laughs> off Sorry, by what? me. <laughs> like, there's a guy out there that <laughs> can do this for 50 bucks. bucks over a weekend. And he was disappointed. Does he know how many sectors there are? There's seven <laughs> sectors. He was I can't even remember well, them all. Premier Higgs was disappointed the guy didn't apply. <laughs> We could oh have saved gosh. a lot of money and a lot of time, right? I guess. Well, yeah. Yeah. What are your recommendations, yeah. random? So guy? seriously, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I, I have gotten even hate mail. Like, what would be categorized as hate mail? So how do you take care of yourself when you do come across something like that? Like, say you get one of those messages on a day that you have, okay, you have a bunch of stuff that you have to do today, and then maybe tomorrow you've scheduled a day to do, you know, paperwork and, like, writing right, and, like, right. whatever you need yes. to research. So it's, like, an, a day off from being on, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you do to take care of yourself after you get that super gross email? That's a, well... I think it depends on where I am. Like you said, it's 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 a it's part of the mental health continuum, right? So if I'm in that, like right now, I'm having this conversation with you, I'm loving it, and I can joke about this. And I, to be honest, I did I did kind of laugh when I got that email. It wasn't serious, right? It was just, just but of course but, not. Um, but really well, I'll tell you about one. one. I'll tell you about one. It actually isn't. Um, it wasn't during this particular position. It was, I guess, when I, during the time when I was going to war. Um, and I was a professor at uh, UNB. I was in the Faculty of Education. I taught there for eight years. And um, um, we were just starting to talk about diversity in the classroom, like never mind anti-racism in the classroom. And I was asked to give a public lecture at UNB regarding my thesis work because it had just gotten published in the Harvard Educational Reviews. So that was a big deal. Um, it is a big deal. And, uh, you know, the, I had just started, I think it was, my, it was my first year as a professor there. And so there was a lot of excitement, right? So, um, and I don't think, I could be wrong on this, but it seemed because memory is, is uh, going astray. I think I was the first professor in the faculty of ed to get something published in the Harvard Educational Review. So there was a lot of uh, publicity around this talk. So one day I'm going and getting my mail and there is a uh, envelope uh, with no return address, but it had gone through campus mail. And the okay. only people that can send stuff through this particular type of campus mail are professors or people who work. So not students, right? Just people who work at, uh, at UNB. And you get these mails all the time, so you don't think anything of it. So I open up the envelope and um, it's, um, it's a letter that was printed and it had my um, like a newspaper article in there that I had done because like I said there was a lot of publicity around this talk um, and essentially it said that my uh, research was foolish was worthless and um, if um, you know I'm, I'm wasting the university's time and money and if I don't like what I see in New Brunswick I should go back to where I came from which was Nova Scotia, but, um, <laughs> so, 
Um, and there was, it said, New Brunswick, I still remember this, this line at the bottom, so I'm quoting. It said, New Brunswick is fine the way it is, leave it alone. Right. And I was devastated. I mean, I was, I was a brand new professor and, you know, I'm writing that ego high of, oh, look at me, I just got published. Right? <laughs> right? And then I get this sort of like bucket of cold water. And crashing. Yeah. yeah. And and I cried. I did. Of course I have no did. problem saying that. I cried. And you know what? It was my two colleagues. So there was three of us that taught the history, social studies, methodology part. And that's where I was. It's my two colleagues, two older white men who said to me, um, you know, they gave me the pep talk. This is this is not how the most of the, and they knew too, like, like, shoot, this has come from the university. Like, this is somebody who, this is a colleague, right? Um, and it could be a colleague in my faculty. It could be a colleague in another, I didn't know, right? Um, which makes it kind of worse, at least with worse. Facebook yeah. and stuff. It, now you know, right? <laughs> like it was, yeah. you know, fatboy.2 that can do the, you know, the, the yeah. Uh, <laughs> the report in the weekend. No. Um, no, but this came from your community. Yes, this is, exactly. It, you yeah, know, and a higher education, higher thinking, you know, a university community that I really wanted to be a part of. Like, I thought I had hit my pinnacle of success, right? Like, working in a university. So I cried. And uh, they, uh, you know, they said the obligatory, not everybody feels this way, um, and all that stuff. And then one of them said, you need to own this. Like that you can't let this define you. You need to take this letter and define it yourself. So hmm. at the end of my talk, I took out the letter. So there's, you know, a couple hundred people, it's a big stadium. Took out the and I showed my, you know, my went over my results, my data, and, it, and the data essentially said that um uh black and indigenous children in New Brunswick overwhelmingly, like overwhelmingly experience racism on a regular basis and mostly in school so that the school system was failing these children um so at the end i read the letter i told them how i got the letter i told them who it came from in the sense that it came from one of my colleagues i said maybe the person sitting here i don't know and i read the letter and my voice shook <laughs> like i have no problem talking in public like I know public speaking is supposed to be like a big fear it's not a fear of mine but my voice did shake and both of uh, those professors Andrew Hughes Alan Sears both at UNB both amazing mentors were sitting in the front and along with two graduate students Carla Peck who now works in anti-racism at University of um, Alberta and my friend Otilia, um, who unfortunately passed away a while ago um, as a result of, um, of domestic abuse, um, both gave me the thumbs up, right? And that's when I realized I can take this letter back. Like this letter is not gonna define my work. It's not gonna be a barrier. It's actually going to be another reason why I do this work. Now the comments are more, um, they're more directed towards the government than me, <laughs> right? So that helps. Maybe not to them, but it helps me. You know, I'm, I just keep saying I'm independent. 
And sometimes people will actually say that, like, this is nothing against you. We know you're independent, but, right? Like, so I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You know, that's part of my data collection too. Um, so the, the, I've only gotten a couple sort of, you know, really yucky hate mail things. And again, they're not, I don't see them as directed as me. I see them directed as this like sort of, I just hate everyone. That's not like uh, me. And, you know that, um, and that I feel sorry for them. Kind of, uh, yeah. Sorry, continue. I no, I just feel, sorry, I, for I feel who... sorry for them because they must be like, if they think the changes that are happening are bad, if they think that, you know, that they can't make New Brunswick great again, um, that's really, you're going to miss out on so much. And it's, it's a, especially now with COVID where people are home and they can, they can fester in those beliefs. Like now is the time to reach out, right? Now is the time to make those connections. And if your raison d'etre is to create divisions, then you must really be in a yucky place right now. I think that there's there's two things that come to mind. <clears throat> so the staff person, whether it was a professor or a, I don't know, an intern, anyone who had mm -hmm. access to that and took the time to write that proves the importance of the job you're doing. If that viewpoint can find its way to the higher echelons of mm -hmm. education, it's it, it's festered everywhere. This This view, this inability, this invisibility is it's a pro it's the problem and i i i really hate that that happened and i also i hate how how not surprising it is yeah. that it would happen <laughs> at that level right oh. like that's yeah. that's horrible that's horrible um that's that's the first thing that comes to mind is that this human sucks that they t took the time to poop <laughs> you all suck. like, like <laughs> I mean, people do research in all kinds of inane areas. Like, I don't understand why you would take the time to, I mean, it feels super important and relevant to me if you don't care, fine. But like, why would you go? I know. Anyway, that's that's one thing. Um, and and number two, I know that, um, you, are you familiar with the work of Brene Brown? Yes, yes. Social yeah, research, yeah. yeah. So she's she, like, her whole idea of not taking criticism from the people who aren't in the arena getting their butt kicked. Mm -hmm you know the blood sweat and tears if you're up there in the bleachers observing with your i don't need to care about your opinion like you're not here in the dirt with me yeah i'm you know what i mean like i i would give a lot more weight to the opinion of someone doing this work and to the point of view of someone who has something to add than i would someone who's randomly saying and dismissing of me mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. And, really and that's why that's, I love these conversations, yeah. right? Because it gives me a chance to talk to, you know, again, the troops, right? People like you that are doing amazing work and that unfortunately we don't even know exists until we stumble upon them by accident. You know, the, the world's yeah. best accidents, um, <laughs> you know, and, and yes, like if, you know, if you, if you called me up and said, listen, Manju, I, I read your recommendations on, on education and uh you know i i don't think you went far enough like i'm gonna listen and say great like you know <laughs> so you sit down with me you know let's let's go over these but yes if that person who um who 
wrote me, <laughs> which I'm sure is not, no longer paying any attention to me. Um, who didn't even have the courage to put their, their name, name to their opinion. Yes. Not, you don't even have the courage yeah. to say what you mean without attaching your name to it. Like that is that says something you know i, I put yeah. my name on that public facing site has my full name and i am unique in the world if you look for therese trofimenkov it me oh no, no i've looked for you i found you <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the same thing with me i'm sure if you google manju varma there's not a lot out there <laughs> no. Like, maybe there is there another like I don't know that there's another doctor Manju Varma like, I don't I'm not know. sure I've never you know I've never googled myself I think I'd be afraid of some random photo that I accidentally let hit hit the <laughs> there's a reason I do podcasts and not television nice. shows okay <laughs> well, podcasts are kind of like people are walking with you and you're listening to yeah. the conversation and you don't have it's to brush lovely. your hair like I, I, it's a winning combination. <laughs> All right, so je sais, uh, you know, au début que je voudrais avoir les um, les sujets chants, uh, les commentaires de de toi pour comment uh, on peut uh, participer dans la conversation. I'd uh, love to have you give some suggestions. So if there was a parent listening right now, for example, or a teacher in another district, en français ou en anglais, n'importe quoi. Um, what what are some suggestions? Like, what are some of your favorite books? Um, you know, oh. the, the holidays are coming up. What what can people give? So, really, ultimately, the message is find non-white writers. That's it. That's that's the whole thing. Find your favorite kind of book, fiction books that are written by non-white people, f- women. Um, find uh, books that are written by indigenous people uh braiding sweetgrass <gasps> that I book love it. is like poetry yes. it's so yes. beautiful it's oh, yeah, scientific it poetry oh, what yeah. what um, if you want to diversify your child's bookshelf, there are lots and lots and lots of lists mm-hmm. out there for exactly the correct age group. There are middle school uh, appropriate books that are very inclusive. There are there are books written on every topic imaginable. So my recommendation is look at your bookshelf and look at how many people on there are white people and then try to add non-white people. That is, that's it. That's the Love whole, that. there's also uh, cultural competence now, which gives you exercises as a teacher. You know, there's nonfiction stuff yeah. designed to help you in your work uh, for how to improve your, how to, imp- like how to improve your anti-racism lens. Cause this is the thing is yeah. you, the only way we get there is if everyone understands, is if everyone can see where those things are physically in their real life in their actual day-to-day uh, one of my top recommendations is read an article and then share it on your social media like in your life where you are where you show mm-hmm. up in those spaces you need to introduce these conversations yes. i'm not saying do it do it as much as me because i just i do it a lot i talk about it a lot but i'm saying try to do that sometimes while you're waiting for the popcorn to pop um talk to your kids about this interesting podcast that you heard yeah you know which is our podcast right this that's right i'm talking about this one right now yeah okay just wanted to be clear it's (laughs) talking racism that's the interesting podcast okay i could talk to you all day but um it's probably gotta wrap it up at some point i think yeah Yeah. i think so i think we have to wrap it up at some point Donc, est-ce qu'il y a les, uh, les mots finales que tu dois, tu veux dire, juste pour, pour l'audience? Absolument. Alors, suggestion, fais quelque chose. 
C'est tout. Honnêtement, fais quelque chose. Just mm-hmm. learn one thing. Do one thing differently. When you have emotional capacity, if you're not like exhausted because you've been, you know, mm-hmm. working during a global pandemic and you're exhausted, you barely make it to the couch by eight o'clock, you know? Yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about during our holiday or in a, in a quiet moment on a weekend. If you have nothing weighing you down and you have the emotional capacity, do something. Do a thing to inform yourself. And then, this is the most important part, don't let it stop with you. You got to spread it somewhere. You got to say it to someone. You got to share it somehow. That's it. So, donc, le point saillant est de faire quelque chose. N'importe quoi. Quelque chose. Do something. N'importe okay. quoi. Quelque chose. This was fantastic. vie personnelle. Well, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, c'est un point important aussi. Thank you so much. Uh, this was great. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to every next episode of your podcast. So exciting to, to hear how this <laughs> is going to And I know we're going to be talking offline a lot. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> looking forward okay. to it as well. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye.